Pod Boys Productions. Rebound Network's Movies Are Relevant for a little film discussion. Back for another episode. It's your boy, Pod Drew. And, uh, you know, a topic that is obviously on a lot of people's minds recently, especially in the country of these United States, is uh, protests. There's been protests going on quite a bit. It really... Um, escalated a couple of weeks ago as of this recording but they're still going on all over the country so today on that show wanted to uh, talk some protest films and to do that of course i want to bring in my trusty cohort on movies are relevant young e dash nam and you know he like he was protesting stuff even before all this so I don't know what he's getting up to now, but it's probably pretty serious. Is that right, E Dash Nam, or am I putting words right in your mouth? No, no, pretty much, pretty much accurate. Um, I'm I'm doing some sabotage. I'm pouring concrete milkshakes on cops. No, um, hey, I've just been out here with people when I can doing things. How do you pour a concrete milkshake? Maybe I'm not. Gonna... I don't know. That's just something that literally never happened. That they're being huge bitches about for the last five, ten years. I I don't know one person claimed that someone threw a milkshake on them that was actually concrete and now every every time there is a protest someone said that like antifa super soldiers poured concrete milkshakes on them and they have the proof i'm just talking about from a literal how do you pour a con i guess like people pour concrete as to like it it firms up so the concrete was i actually never understood that either are you wanting it to harden yeah. in the cup so that you're throwing a rock and it looks like a drink or are you wanting point, it to yeah. be slushy <laughs> So that it hardens on their skin and gives them, like, whatever toxins happen that I know from watching Grey's Anatomy that happen when concrete hardens on your skin. Yeah, is it a thing, like, because in the movie Gold uh, Finger, there's a famous part where... Okay, so I went to Grey's Anatomy and you went to Goldfinger, but continue. Well, of course I'm going to a film, this is a film show, but in that there's a famous part where the villain Goldfinger has, has a girl killed by having her body covered completely in gold paint and where Bond finds her then. And this, the theory is that having something covering your whole skin like a paint would like suffocate you, I guess. Pretty sure that was debunked as like, that's not, that wouldn't really happen. But are you saying concrete, it would happen, I guess. Right. I mean, obviously if it's like blocking your airwaves or whatever, but if it just hardened all over your skin, but you could still not over your nostrils, would, would you die? Okay, so it sounds like you want me to explain a classical episode of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I guess so. what so. happens is the guy gets concrete poured over his body. It doesn't completely cover him. I believe his face is, is uncovered. But what happens is, as it dries and hardens, it fuses to his body. And it's hard to separate because it's, like, completely fused with the top several layers of skin and blood vessels. 
but also it's leaking toxins from the mineral mixture into his body. Mm. And so there's a danger, like if we don't do this dangerous surgery to remove the parts of his body that are connected to the concrete, then also they will poison him uh, and he will be beyond repair. It's a real dilemma. That's Shonda Rhimes, man. Now, is Grey's Anatomy one of those programs where they keep everything medically accurate or are they taking, uh, you know, wild swings at something? Uh, It's tempting for me to defend it, but I don't actually know how medically accurate it is. It's more medically accurate than House, I would argue. Okay. But maybe not as accurate as ER, and as we all know, Scrubs is the most medically accurate of all the TV dramas. That's not actually a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I heard something about that. I don't know, maybe you told me or something, but I heard something about, like, there's a a doctor who watches, who watched a bunch of shows and said Scrubs was the most accurate. Grace of the Night is, like, still on, or is it still on, or isn't it been on for, like, 15 seasons? <laughs> I assume it's still on. I honestly haven't watched it since 2010, and at that time it was getting old and, like, six, seven seasons deep, so. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, so that's the pro, t- you know, people are angry at cops, obviously, um, for pretty justified reasons, of course. There's been films over the years dealing with this sort of thing. One main film we picked to watch for this one, one protest film for this episode, um... Which actually, it turns out, isn't isn't really like the type of protest that's going on in America right now. It's protesting a different sort of thing. We were going to talk about that because it also ties into something else we wanted to do on the show, which was talk a little uh, Akira Kurosawa, watch one of his classic films. For longtime listeners of the show, uh, they will note that I have finally seen an Akira Kurosawa film, <laughs> and it was not Yojimbo. Had you seen that one as well? No, uh, this is the first one. Okay, this is the first one you've seen. Okay, so I've seen a few now. I know I'd seen, um, back in the day in high school, I think, actually, I saw, uh, what the hell, why am I blanking now? The one where, you know, it's from all different perspectives. Uh, Rashomon. Rashomon. And I didn't really care for it that much. I know that's considered one of his best, I guess, and I probably should revisit it. But that's when I saw it a long time ago, so I maybe didn't appreciate it as well. But in the past, like, two or three years, I've seen some more of them. Like, I have seen your Jumbo watch seven samurai and those are more they're not just like straight up action films but they're a little more of that vein and then i also saw a couple of his films that are more social commentary type of thing one of them is called high and low i think it's from the early 60s that one i recommend that one's really good that's one that people mention almost all his films star the actor toshiro mifune i think is how you say his name uh yeah mifune Mifune, so except the one big one that doesn't star him or have him featured at all is the one we picked to watch for this episode which is called ikiru which translates to to live in english and so i i decided on that one a because i wanted it's one of the big ones i hadn't seen yet and b i found it on this list that i got from criterion the criterion uh collection website if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's like Criterion puts out films on... It always used to be on DVD, which I assume they still do, or DVD and Blu-ray now, probably. But now they have a, a streaming service as well. But they do essentially, like... I mean, I think a lot of the films they get are ones that are went out of print, kind of, or, like, hard to find, and they, like, kind of restore them. And they also just have a lot of, you know, cinephile classic type things, like like Kurosawa, like Francois Truffaut, and stuff like that, you know. So anyway, I found this, li- they put this list out recently, you know, I'm sure spurred on by, by, you know, what's going on in the zeitgeist, this list called Voices of Protest. Akira is on this list. It's not a real protest-heavy movie. Yeah, well, that's what I was, as you, as you mentioned earlier, kind of saying it's, 
That's true. I could see why they put it on here. It is protest in a way. It's just kind of... We'll get into it when we talk about it, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, a more... A, another film I rewatched recently, which I hadn't seen in, you know, probably 15 years or something, is uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which I just saw it uh, again about a week ago. Like, a lot of the streaming services and iTunes and stuff are, have the rental of it for free right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess also spread on by all of this. That film is a lot more direct commentary on it. exactly the type of thing that's you know, still happening in this country, still being protested now, so... I would say so. <laughs> that's a lot more uh, relevant. So you think we should talk that one first and then get into Ikiru? Let's do Ikiru first and then get into The Heavier Fair. Now, it's interesting you say that, The Heavier Fair, because... Because the Ikiru is a tough hang and it's about a life completely wasted? Yeah, so... Well, I don't know completely because he does kind of pull it together at the end. We'll get into it, but... Yeah, yeah, there's the redemption arc. Do the right thing is yeah is a lot easier to watch still and it's like a lot more like you always you like to use that term you just use like a tough hang it's not a tough hang really at all I don't think there's a painful part at the end obviously which you know is gonna happen I mean I guess if you haven't seen it mm-hmm. but for a hundred minutes before then it is just nothing but warmth <laughs> um, and like warmth and tension yeah back and forth but obviously also there's a big difference between films made in you know the late eighties and films made in the early 50s mm-hmm. i know you're not a big 50s film fan i personally have, have gotten into a lot of them more in more recent years but you do have to it, you know filmmaking has changed a lot so there is that difference as well of, of just terms of ease of watching but yeah it is interesting because do the right thing is it's more of a societal critique well no they're both i would say they're both societal critiques but it's more of the um they can be viewed as companion pieces as i guess we're going to do on this podcast yeah but uh it's a venn diagram it's not a circle yeah but i guess yeah i'm just trying to say about like you would think a film about one you know akira is we'll get into the plot in a second but it's it's mostly about one man um, which is just a small and they're, they're getting into the greater issues of that society but it's really just one man's story whereas do the right thing is like about a whole community that reverberates out to the larger community of a whole country and of the world really how one community is treated but it's more i I would hesitate to use the word fun of course but it's more yeah i don't know how i'm trying to yeah well they're distinct because they're critiquing two separate societies yes there are problems with the with japanese society in the 30s 40s and 50s that are not specifically the problems we have in America in 1989 and 2020, which are the same problem in the case of this film. It's so good outside of how important it is to have seen it, you know? Yeah, and there, yeah, that's a good way to say it, I think, for sure. But there are some films that I think are cl- like close to perfect or are like really great. You could tell they're really great. Maybe that's a gut punch, something. You're not like jumping to watch it. You, you might be like, ah, I'm one and done on that one, or maybe wait a long time before. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway. Let's go into Ikiru. So, so Ikiru focuses so much on the suffering and the the uselessness that uh, I forget the character's name, but that he feels. It dwells on the pain in a way that I'm personally familiar with, but but that is difficult to like thirst for in a movie. And so much of Do the Right Thing is just like these dalliances with other characters, just just trying to live their goddamn lives and having just their own cute little vignettes. Yeah. So the character in Ikaru is, is Watanabe, Kanji Watanabe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'll get into the plot a little bit. It is insular film in a way of, like, it's about one man 
that's the main focus. There's a couple other scenes with where he's not in it, but he's mostly carries the whole film. And this actor... Well, it's like almost like any time he's not in it, they're talking about him. Pretty much... It fails the uh, the the Bechdel equivalent of like only talking about one yes, it does. one character. Yeah, basically that's true. I'm trying to think if there's any scenes where he, where they're not talking about him, and I don't believe that there are. Um, so this guy's played by the actor Takeshi Shimura. I, I think his performance is really really amazing. He's great. He's also in Seven Samurai. He's the main character. He's like, have you seen um, Magnificent Seven? I've seen the classic western. I haven't seen the like shitty remake. I assume shitty remake. Yeah, I've seen that. I saw that one. But um, so like he plays what who Denzel plays in that one, and I believe who Yul Brenner plays in the um original one. I think that's Yul Brenner. Yeah. So that's like the role this actor plays in Seven Samurai, which was the original of that story, and he's amazing in that too. But um, it's an extremely different uh, type of role. So this guy is like a office drone basically he never does there's even one part where he says he never had bought like a drink out for himself at a bar even i think or something crazy like that yeah it's like right after um the thing that happens happens if we're not spoiling anything yet well he gets cancer it's in the very part of the i mean it's the what the whole it is the introduction to the film stomach cancer yeah right after he finds out that he has stomach cancer um he buys himself him his first drink and he fucking hates it but he's just like i have to do this now i've never done it I think he hates it mainly because it's painful to even drink anything. Like, it's, he shouldn't be drinking alcohol in his condition. I think he tells that Drifter character that it tastes bad, too. Which is like, everyone hates alcohol the first time they drink it, but everyone in America is an alcoholic. Okay, I didn't bring that into it. That, that would make sense, I guess. So anyway, he finds out toward the beginning of the film that he... Um, well, there is a, a, a scene I liked a lot where he's in the waiting room at the doctor's office, and this guy, this kind of like busybody type guy starts talking to him and tells him you oh know, yeah, yeah. If, if they say this it really means this um so if, if they tell you that and i don't know how doctors can get away with doing this but i mean whatever i get but if they tell you um it's just a mild ulcer that's like the code for oh it's really actually bad you you basically have no chance of living um you have stomach cancer and it's gonna kill you like probably within a, six months to a year i think for him it ends up being yeah like six months so then he hears that from this guy then he goes into the doctor's office and of course they tell him oh it's just a mild ulcer but he, he obviously knows but they hit a doctor's once i was a little confused by that he does have cancer yeah yeah of course Okay. Yeah, because there's that conversation right after between the, like, younger doctor who mm-hmm. seems disturbed. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And they say, like, what would you do? So a lot of the point of the movie is, like, what would you do if you are in this position? And at first, like, he's very... The first, I would say, third of the film, he's, like, obviously super depressed. He, like, he thinks he wasted his entire life. Like he said, never bought himself a drink. He only lived for his job, which is another main part of the film and that's why i said it's a little societal as well as how the job is like it's a government job and a main component of it it seems for the workers is just trying to avoid doing any work or like Mm -hmm. passing the buck on down the line there's also a scene at the beginning where i feel like this was probably novel for the time i've seen it in a lot of things since then but i wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the first times that there was like a scene like this where you don't see it's like a group of women that are petitioning 
from a neighborhood that there's like a problem they have and they're petitioning like they're just getting moved on and on to the different people you got to go to this department no and you no you should go to this it's this people's problem you know and there's like 10 different people that push them along to you but you're on the camera is only on the face of like the op the person in the office like the person in that department you're not seeing the faces of the people until the end of the whole sequence yeah the like montage of like bureaucrats telling you that like they not only can they not help you they're not supposed to help you and you're in the wrong building yeah that's yeah that's become fairly classic i don't know if it was in 52 either that's what i'm saying i I wouldn't be surprised at least the way it was shot if that was kind of novel for the time and yeah 52 is the specific year this came out not my beloved year of 57 which i now realize is one of the best years for cinema but 52, not, not too bad either. Based on a sample size of one, I'm definitely writing for 52 <laughs> in that fight, oh, but we'll talk fine, about that fine. another time. But that kind of ties into the whole film of, like, how it's the societal issues of Japan at the time, which is, like, obviously just post-war, essentially, in 52. And they obviously were beaten, so that ties into the society of Japan at the time. There are a lot of defeated people anyway, not even taking cancer out of it, you know. There's a lot of... The culture is very defeated. Well, the worst thing that's ever happened in human history happened to them. Yeah, but it's not just that they got a terrible tragedy of having the the nuclear bombs dropped on them that fucked everything up, but also, like, it's the, you know, the shame of losing as well. Even if the the bombs hadn't been dropped, I think, you know, it's like Germany went through the same sort of thing. Right, right. Having that much nationalistic pride and then finding out that you are uh, not invincible. Uh, Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But anyway, it, this all ties into, like, the societal issues of the time. On one hand, the culture is such that... And it's still like this, I think. Some of the things still hold true to even the, the modern Japan of, like... it's The culture is a lot more, especially comparing it to the United States. And if you go back and do the right thing, how people protest here, how people are protesting in that film, even before everything goes down at the end, the type of people and do the right thing, like the character played by Giancarlo Esposito who is what's his name and it bugging out there's not like an archetype of this guy Mm -hmm. there's really not even an archetype of this guy in japan modern day japan let alone the 50s japan well yeah not in 50s japan there was the student rebellion yeah but even i saw something there was some black life matters protests in japan and the the article is like this is like pretty big even and it wasn't like a big looking protest but the article is saying like this society is not protest heavy at all in terms of like public yeah or they don't go against authority a lot at all so that whole ties into the thing of like don't go authority go don't go against the authority of your own job you know of like your own this is how you're supposed to do it and so the one character in the film that is a contrast to this a little bit is this young woman probably a 25 year old woman or something who works in his office then eventually quits and gets another job there's like a scene early on where she's like laughing out loud at something which is like out of place and tells like not an off-color joke but like a joke that's not really appropriate for like the setting or whatever you know well it's one that like he specifically should not have heard someone in his office say yeah but anyway once you see her early on in the film that's like something that pops out to you you're like oh i like this character is interesting right um, more so than these other ones. So also the guy at home, his uh, Watanabe, his wife died a long time ago. He mostly just spent his life raising his single son. He spent his life for his son, basically, who's now married to a woman. They live together, the three of them. Um, he basically, I guess the son has a job himself, or I don't know, but he. it seems like his father supports them all. They are pretty terrible. They only care about him and the wife, only care about themselves, essentially, and 
they only care about the father for his money and they're like only worried about his retirement money that they're supposed to supposedly going to get mm-hmm. such to the point that a couple events happen where he ends up not even telling them that he's dying because there keeps being like a misunderstanding over things and then he gets righteously i would say angry at the son of like fine i won't tell him then because like that's all he cares about well he heard him say that like we want to sell this house and get a different one with his retirement money yeah that was at the very beginning were he not dying should be his yeah and then the misunderstanding that happens later is so ultimately he gets out of his depression a little bit by he spends the whole film trying to figure out what to do with his remaining months or like how to make his life been worth something so he gets kind of the woman comes to quit i guess she need so like the, they say the biggest thing that happened in the office in years is that once and abby just hasn't been showing up lately yeah and he was like the most you know come in every day he didn't miss a day for like 40 years or something he almost had the record right so he, the girl to quit apparently needs like his stamp of approval so she finds him and gets it and then he starts being intrigued by her and spending a lot of time with her and then eventually she kind of pushes off like enough is enough already what are you trying to do here exactly what is the the whole situation he's trying to he's kind of figuring out himself which is a scene i really liked in this too he kind of figures out like oh i'm i'm just trying to figure out you seem like so happy go lucky and like you seem like you know what life is i'm trying to figure that out from you even though she really doesn't obviously like most people don't really you know she just has, like, a mm-hmm. a personality like that, I would assume, is just born with that. Because she doesn't have, like, a great life or anything, obviously. She's, like, poor. He buys her, like, stuff. But, uh, you know what I mean? So that's, like, kind of the second part of the film. Then, he, from there, he figures out what to do for his legacy. Not just for his legacy, but a, a good thing he can do before he dies. Like, I'll get one project done. Which ends up tying back into the beginning where this community wants a park built over this waste area they want that moved out and like a playground moved in sort of thing which is very hard to do with all the bureaucracy and like he makes that his mission then to get that done before he dies so then the third third part of the film is they take a kind of crazy i'm also shaky on what happens i watched this late at night and i'm a (laughs) yeah a little too much sake there yeah it must be it takes like a crazy structural shift in the third part of the third act so you you got that much at least. Mm-hmm. They just cut to him being dead and his funeral essentially. His what do you call it after the funeral? Like after, wake, not the wake. It may be different in Japan too. They have different cultures, but here like a wake is when you look at the body. A lot of people might show up that won't go to the funeral. It's like where you like walk in, you look at it, you say your respects. Okay. You know, after the actual funeral, there's like you go get food. You know, there's like a get together, which is what was going on here, I guess. They're all sitting around drinking, eating, and then they're like, there's some lighting incense or something. I couldn't exactly... T- I've seen it in other Japanese things, too, but... Even, like, the cop comes in, like, to pay his respect... Or rent different people. It is kind of more a little bit like a combo between a wake and, a, and the funeral party thing, I guess, in this one. In Japan, I guess. Right. Like, the the thing that's happening definitely resembles a wake. Yeah, a little bit more. They're lighting the candle things... Mm-hmm. I don't know if I love that the structural change like that. I could see why they did it, I guess, but I was thinking I might have preferred it to just play out straight where he dies at the end. You do see him kind of die in this swing set, which is like an iconic scene, I guess, or an iconic image. Mm-hmm. But you find out all the things... Ripped off by the Godfather part two. Or no, the Godfather. The first Godfather, he dies and like with the orange in his mouth. It's a little bit similar, I guess, yeah. 
with playing with his grandson. The What they do then is the, all the co-workers are sitting around with his family there, who's kind of like, the son is still being like, no, he, did, he didn't know he was going to die. He would have told me or whatever. And even by then, he kind of accepts that he must have known. So, like, they're all trying to figure out first. So you get a lot of flashbacks then at this point where the co-workers are all saying, this is what he did this time. This is what he did. Like, you kind of see how he got the, the playground built. Right. And hard he had to work to do it. And there's, like, a politician there initially who's, like, trying to put it off. Like, you know, he didn't do as much, whatever. All the co-workers are trying to figure out why he changed like this so drastically at the end of his life. His brother, or I don't know if it's his... Yeah, I think his brother thinks it's because of a woman. And that was part of the whole misunderstanding with the son earlier, too. The son and the daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eventually, they come to the conclusion, like, the only thing that logically makes any sense is he must have known he was going to die, which is... So, do you remember this whole part at the end? Or? Yeah, I I remember it going from, like, a narrative film about one person to, like, Pilgrim's Progress. I think my drunk ass just kind of got lost in those specific little, little scenes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, like, one scene where he stands up to a kind of mafia type guy or what do they call it and what is the the japanese mafia the yakuza yeah yakuza type of guy who wants like to build a red light district in the area instead sure yeah so there's some good little scenes in there like i said i don't know if i would have preferred it to stay straight narrative the whole time but i can see why kurosawa did it this way i guess it might be easier to backtrack into some of these things i don't know but so what ultimately happens is all the co-workers also they're drinking tea like you they're getting they're getting drunk as well and they're all they're all saying like this is the way to live like we should we're not dying but like we should do we should change and you know right right take the job seriously like try to get things done like Wantanami did but then there's like one little scene at the very end where like the new guy has his job now they're all the co-workers are there someone comes in with a request and like the same thing happens that always does you know it just gets pushed off the one guy was the most vehement about liking Wantanabe, what he did, and, like, them changing. He stands up to, like, protest for a second, but then he looks around and it's kind of like, well, there's nothing I can even do. Right. They were all full of shit, though. <laughs> yeah. And it's just ultimately not really possible for... It's not a possible thing that everyone can do when you're not dying or when you're all trying to do it as a whole, like... So we'll get into why this is considered a protest film, I guess. And I guess it is, like, a personal protest against... One man's personal protest against how society works and kind of protesting against the life-death structure in a way of, like, you are born... Like, life's a bitch, and then you die. Like You're born, you go through this. Yeah. You're an office drone your whole life, and then you're gone. At the end, like, getting the, the slight reprieve of knowing that you have just this amount of time left gives you the opportunity to actually change your ways and, like, do something for the better which is essentially what the character has done. If this hadn't happened, he his son would have got the money, you know, and would have thought of him as like, oh, well, that was just my dad or whatever, but I, I got money out of him. His coworkers would have thought like, oh, he was the... Right. Wow, that's, it would have just been like a footnote of, that's the guy who came in every day for 50 years, got the record, that's it. But now he's like kind of like a legendary figure to all these people, even though they can't emulate what he did. Or won't, yeah can't won't whatever at that point it's like the same thing i think but he is like this figure now that everyone can look on that way despite like the head politician wanting to brush it aside or whatever all the people know obviously like all the people he got it done for know and like the cop who comes in even says he was the one that found him 
he could have taken him off this like he could have he says he should have like he thought he was just a drunk guy he should have taken him away he might not have died right then obviously he was gonna die anyway but like he just looked so content or whatever like that's he clearly went there to die that's like what he wanted to happen i think right on his like achievement so so that is a very poignant ending i think I could see why that would be considered iconic, like him yeah. on the swing. Well, and it is really moving, the way that it walks the line between, like, the external nihilism, just, like, all these people are full of shit, they're not going to follow these example, uh, the bureaucracy the and, and stagnation in that society will remain. But, like, if the only thing you control is yourself, it, it is possible to do what, what, what this guy did. The, the decision and the change that this film appears to be asking for comes from everyone making that choice for themselves and not looking around the office and seeing that no one else yeah so i'll go to the list now and see like so i got it off this voices of protest list some of the other films on this list i don't know if you've heard any of these i would like actually before we do this to mention so i had some problems with the film you uh assigned me from 1957 a few weeks ago or months ago which was a face in the crowd right it was like a decently shot movie that I had problems with because it was a dull movie for dullards and... Disagree, but okay. ...said broad things in very small ways and felt like it was... I felt that it felt like it was achieving something grander than that. This movie... And maybe it's because... Do you remember when we were talking um, about uh, Evangelion last winter? You were saying that you liked watching it in Japanese because when they said stupid shit like, uh, he's trapped in a theoretical number space and actually... The, the physical monster was the shadow, and the shadow was the monster. You could take that more seriously because they were saying it in Japanese, and you just assumed they were saying it with the correct inflection. My opinion on anime in general, not just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. May, and I will own this, be because I was reading subtitles and assumed that they had been written in a way that a person would say them and delivered with some kind of artful inflection that would have been enjoyable to watch and not just the dullest possible version of the line that they were giving. But... The way that this movie, like, the thing that people say about Akira Kurosawa appears to be true. The way that this movie was, like, set up, the way, like, where the camera was in every scene, and and the way that he framed his actors' faces and bodies, and the way he catches the, like, one guy crying that one tear. I get it about, about Kurosawa in a way that, like, so this was possible in 1952. Therefore, these movies that I hate from the U.S. and um, other locations from, from that era... I feel justified hating them. This is a complex movie that takes three hours to get through, and it didn't treat me like a baby. And, like, the camera work, there was no, none of the technology that was available to, like, Paul Thomas Anderson or Denis Villeneuve or, or even Stanley Kubrick um, for the later parts of his career. And he accomplished just as much with, like, the lens. Yeah, so I think Kurosawa, from watching more of his films now, he's very humanistic, I think, is a word you could use, mm. especially in the dialogue and, the, and how the stories he tells. A face in the crowd, I know you didn't like it, but it's doing a different thing. Well, it's an allegory, yes. Yes, and but the character archetype as well is, like, he's supposed to be bombastic, he's supposed to be, uh, you know, the Andy Griffith character. I didn't mind Andy Griffith's line delivery so much as, like, everyone responding to him. But even the camera is moving into his face big at some points. I disagree that if you say that the director of that didn't do a good job of, like, moving his camera as well. No, and, and I said when we recorded that one that I've forgotten the director's name, sorry. Elia Kazan. Right, that Elia Kazan, like, I understand, like, what he was doing. I'm just saying, like, the way the film was written and the way the film was acted and the way the film was at times directed treated me like I was a baby, and I don't think this movie did. 
No. Yeah, and that's the thing about Kurosawa, I would say. It doesn't... I don't remember Rashomon well enough to speak on it. I don't remember the main reasons why I didn't like it at the time. But the other ones I've seen more recently, he, he tells the story in a way, like, I, pretty much anyone could understand it. Some things take a little while to unfold in some of them, but it's very... Three hours in the case of Akira? It, which wasn't three hours. It was, like, maybe two hours, 20 minutes, I think. There's longer ones, for sure. Seven Samurai is, three, is like, 320. If, it, if it's not three hours, it's 240. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. But, yeah, so Kurosawa, obviously, is like, there, there's a reason why he's still considered one of the, the best of all time. And you should watch more of his films. I'm going to continue seeing more of the ones I haven't seen. We'll probably talk about another one in the future on this podcast, but... Right. Uh, yeah, some of the other ones on the list here were... They kind of go in order, I guess. Of, like, the oldest one on here is something from 1925 called Strike. That's about... Uh, communism, I believe, or... Uh, it looks like a lot of the films on this list are about... If it's called Strike, it's probably about labor. Labor, yeah, about labor issues is what I was looking for, and uh, unions and everything like that. Mm-hmm. In which there is power. There's a film on this list called Ashes and Diamonds, I believe a Polish film, which I've heard is good. That's one I'm marking uh, to watch. Okay, I've never heard it of that. It says it takes place on the last day of World War II at a town of Poland. That one's probably about protesting about what, what had just happened with the war, I guess, or I don't know. There's a movie, which is, I think, a documentary by Agnes Varda called Black Panthers. So that's obviously about the Black Panther movement. There's a documentary called Harlan County, USA from the 70s, mm-hmm. which I think has to do with, yeah, the um, that's Kentucky, Harlan County. I believe that's about a coal miner strike. That's a pretty famous one. Yeah, that's what it looks like, yeah. There's... A movie from the 90s, a French film that had also been on my list. I haven't seen this one yet either, called The Hain. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but... Is it just L apostrophe H? No, it's L-A and then a separate word, H-A-I-N-E, um, from 1995. I don't know that word, La Hain. That's maybe a little more similar to Do the Right Thing, I believe, where it's about a neighborhood of mostly immigrants. Um, I know on Do the Right Thing it's not immigrant. Well, there's some immigrants, but it's mostly about the African-American community, but it's like that in Paris, like the the neighborhood where a bunch of um I think Algerian and other minorities groups live. That's against mm-hmm. the cops. I wonder if that's the name of the neighborhood. That definitely could be. There's Hunger by Steve McQueen from the early two thousands. It's about a hunger strike in an yes. Irish prison. That one I've heard is is good, is one to watch too in the past. That that one seems to me like that's a type of one I I would have a hard time pushing play on to actually start watching like especially steve mcqueen's movies are yeah brutal like 12 years of slave for example is one of the ones i mentioned it's like technically a great film but i don't want to ever watch it again really uh that, that's like a one and done it was yeah. a punishing experience yeah so there's um th- th- there's more on the list people could check it out if they want it's called voices of protest on criterionchannel.com but some other ones to potentially watch but yeah for the more relevant the main source of the unrest right now is in this country is is against the african-american community especially how they're treated by the police which you know it's kind of sad obviously that do the right thing came out in 1998 even in that film 89 that's what i meant to say sorry 89 even in that they're doing the thing at the end where they're like naming people like these people and i assume they're real people Mm -hmm. i'm not 100 sure but they're naming the people who have been killed to, to everyone, which is still how people do it today. People are still, obviously, George Floyd got killed by the cops kneeling on his neck in this case and do the right thing. It's like a chokehold, but same difference, really. Maybe it does seem like a little bit different this time that I guess like some things are maybe going to start to change. 
more so than they have, but... And enough people have little enough to lose that we were all out there for a week and a half, yeah. Yeah, and obviously it's tied pretty directly into the whole COVID issue of, like, why people are fed up in general with things, but... Yeah, so, I mean, this is crazy to go back and watch this film now of how relevant it still is, sadly. It was. But, like, only at the end, but, like, yes. Yeah, well, so there's a lot, like I was saying before, this is, like, kind of a fun movie in some ways, even though fun is not really a word. I still probably shouldn't say that, I guess, but it's, like, super watchable. It does a lot of things that that I really like, and when movies do it, one thing is, like, movies that all take place in one day. Uh-huh. Technically, this goes into the next day a little bit for, like, the very end, but it basically takes place all in one day. I love when movies do that. It's, like, one of my favorite things. Of I don't think you would call it a trope or whatever, but it's one of my favorite film structures. Yeah. Everything unfolding over one day. It also shows this whole community of, like, a bunch of different things. Like, a lot of it is just, like, I think you said before, a lot of different vignettes of these different characters that, like, all interweave. Spike Lee himself is in the movie as like kind of the main character, which I kind of forgot how much he how much he is in the movie. Right, I think that's the last time he did that too. Yeah, I think he's been in this. This is only only his third movie. Yeah, he's been in other ones, other but not movies, as. But he wasn't the lead. You know, and he does like get into a little bit of the thing. Like, of course, then he has like Rosie Perez as his girlfriend. He's like doing a nude scene with her and stuff so like there is a little bit of like you know directors putting this in for themselves but um yeah yeah yeah. the other main characters are this italian family like mostly danny aiello and and his two sons played by john Turturro and another actor who i don't really has he ever been in much else i don't know i don't recognize him from anything else unless he's the guy that plays the blind preacher on deadwood Oh, the one who dies early on in the Deadwood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it might be. I'm trying to think now. His face reminded me of that guy, but I didn't look it up, and now I look like an asshole on a recorded conversation. You know what? I feel like that preacher in Deadwood isn't as olive skin looking, you know, not as... He seems more white. white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, this, yeah, this actor looked like he didn't even really look American to me. He might be, but... And then John Turturro plays, he's like one of those actors that plays like, in one movie he'll be Jewish, then he'll be Italian, yes. then he'll be uh, Puerto Rican, or like the, he, he plays like everything. And he's great in this. I think this is one of his earlier films, probably it must have been, but um, like you could tell why he blows up. And I believe Danny Aiello won the best supporting actor for this role. Nominated at least, yeah, I know that. I think he might have won. They were both great, and that uh, and that's the thing. Like to derail you a little bit, like that's the thing that this movie does. Where yes, it loves mother sister or sister mother or whatever, uh, and, and it loves the mayor, and it yeah, those are the other two main characters I was about to get into. It's a little ambivalent about Mookie's character, but everyone else, like Tina Rosie Perez's character, everyone on this block like has a very special place in this block, and this is home and this is their safe spot. But it is also a very kind movie toward the uh, the three white Italian men who run that pizzeria and eventually... Well, I don't know about that. The kind. Eventually but... allow their racism to cause the, the, the problem that ruins the movie for everyone else. Do you remember when we were talking about Lady Bird a couple years ago? And, and I was saying how, like, this is a movie about the myopic depression of a teenage girl uh, and everything that happens to her is someone else's fault and it is the worst thing that's ever happened to her. But the movie takes such care to tell the stories of those other people, in a, of the people who have wronged her in a sympathetic way. This does that. It looks very lovingly on some, like, in a way to try and trick you. 
on some deeply problematic people. John Turturro's character is the most irredeemable of the three, and he, even he, you can see exactly why he has all these resentments. Just based on the way his dad interacts with people in the community and will not interact with him. Yeah. So I, I think the characters in this film are very realistic as well. Like, at least there's people... Most of the characters in the film, I could be like, I know someone who is like like that. You know? Yes. So Totoro is like the classic one of like... I mean, also, Italian-American culture is very racist, I would say, from from what I know. In this specific way that they kind of are in this film, especially the Totoro character. Yeah. They're not like waspy racist of like, you know, these people are below me, but whatever. Like, it's more of... Like, even Spike Lee, the character, points out to him, like, what's your favorite uh, basketball player? What's your favorite... You like Eddie Murphy, whatever. He's like, that's different. It's, like, more of that thing, but he's still, like, you know, screw Moulin uh -huh, or whatever. Uh -huh. Even if you watch, like, The Sopranos and stuff like that, it gets into similar stuff for, as well. Well, yeah, and because, like, Italians in America weren't considered white by American society until, like, the 70s. Even though they clearly are essentially treated especially at this point in time, mostly like yes. the rest of white people, they still have this chip on but their like, shoulder. That's the uh, way yeah. the capital in America divides the working class is, is to tell Italian people that black people are your, your enemy. Um, and you're both impoverished for different reasons. You're impoverished because they're getting help and they're impoverished because they deserve it. Well, so then the other son is like, obviously is the, the least problematic of the three, but He's in the way where he like won't go against his brother, his family. Like they got the whole family ties. Like Tatera takes him aside. Like you're my brother. You can't do this or whatever. Yeah. But he's the one who realizes like it's not. These people aren't really different. And then Danny Aiello is like, yeah, he kind of tries to be the good neighborhood guy. He does have things where he is like being legitimately nice to people, but it, it's with like the reserve of like when push comes to shove, he wants things to be stuck in his own way of like. This is a pizza place. It's Italian. Obviously, mm -hmm. the whole thing is about, like, the people on the wall. Like, that's what it is. Like, what I say goes. The way that he simply will not capitulate, yeah. Yeah. And that's, like, there is, like, a lot of older people, especially, like, that, that are, like, they don't think they're being racist necessarily because it's, like, all about, you know, this is the way it is. Like, this is my, this is my personal code or whatever. He's not looking into what he has to do. Well, importantly, it's his pizzeria that he built with his bare fucking hands. <laughs> yeah. And then the other characters, like the mayors. That's, he's the one character that might be a little outside of the realm of, like, realism, I guess. Like, he's a little too much of a good guy. Well, he's the Greek chorus, because this movie is a play. Uh, th this movie is just a Tennessee Williams play, which is one of the many plates that this movie is spinning at all times and lands just perfectly gently like with a little with a little quarter on the ground roll around and it is such a great movie it there's so much happening um yes there's so many good scenes of like there's the three guys that sit around the three older guys especially the one middle guy who i think his name is sweet willie or something like that sweet dick willie <laughs> that guy's hilarious like he's one of the funniest parts for sure of the the film yeah there's a part where uh Giancarlo Esposito comes up to him like trying to get the protest and he's like mm -hmm, protest mm -hmm. that you should go protest your barber for fucking up your hair like that or <laughs> whatever yeah yeah that's really good I really like the three three or four people one of them is Martin Lawrence um who, he doesn't say much but it's him and it young Martin Lawrence and then there's like one girl with them and like two other guys and they're in the whole thing at the end where they where Danielle actually opens up for to give them like one nice slice for the day uh -huh. and that's when Brady or Rahim and fucking out come in but like they're also just being fuckheads the whole time basically like the one guy's giving shit to the mayor earlier in the film and then they're all like they're kind of like what stirs the whole pot eventually what gets 
also there's the whole thing about being the hottest day of the year or whatever it's getting people's anger up but right they're like kind of the one element that's a little bit outside of they're like the one that they're, they're just there to cause trouble basically so when everything jumps off at the end too, they jump in too, like start yelling and everything. Yeah. Well, no, but then when it starts popping off, they immediately start like they flip on a dime. Like they're, they're screaming like for, for for everyone to calm the fuck down. It's just shit talk. Like we weren't. Oh, I don't know about that. You're saying they're telling people to calm down. I don't think that's. Well, they're trying to get people off of each other. Maybe when it gets really out of control and they're spilling out on the sidewalk. Yeah, but like they escalated it right before that when. They, they were just jumping up right before that when Ray Orton was having the confrontation with Danny Aiello. And I'm thinking specifically, too, about the earlier scene I referenced with the mayor where he's like, why would you do this? Like, you, if I had these kids to feed, I would be out getting a job or whatever, you know? Yeah, and the scene with the guy in the Larry Bird jersey. Yeah. I mean, that's, like, super on the nose, but it's it's pretty funny. Yeah. They yeah. even brought that up. That scene was shown in the... um. The Last Dance in one of the episodes because it was about the Jordan sneakers as well. It was tied into that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't want to go too much longer on this pod. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great film. It's obviously super relevant. Like I said, it does a lot of the things I like. It like takes place all in one day, and then the scene that does take place the next day is one of the best scenes in the in the movie. I think with where is his name Mookie Spike Lee's character. That's correct. Mookie goes back to get his money, which is pretty brazen, I would say. Like, But he said several times. Even though I think it was doing the right thing to throw the thing through the window, uh, throw the, which pops off the, the store getting burned down and trash, essentially, which is the place he works at. Then he still goes the next day to like the rubble to like demand his pay from Danny Aiello. But it's a really great scene, and Aiello's kind of... I think that's why he... If he did win the Oscar for that, which I believe he did... I think that scene is, like, one of the big big reasons as well. Yeah, it's a phenomenal scene. It's a perfect coda uh, to a movie that's taken such care to set so much of this shit up. Which is weird because, like, Spike Lee doesn't storyboard. Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Spike Lee, for me, is kind of hit and miss his career. I haven't seen all of his films, but some of them I've seen that I was just didn't care for as much. This one's pretty perfect. And then some of them are masterpieces of American cinema. But he's always going for something. Um, he takes big swings, for sure. Well, and it's not this movie's fault that it's relevant. No. <laughs> annoyingly woke to talk about it. It's a great movie. Yeah, so that's what I'd say. If, you, if for some reason you haven't watched it ever, or you haven't seen it yet, got around to it, and you think it's... it's n- I would say it's not one of those ones that's like hard to press play on if you think it is. It's really not a hard watch. It's tough, like, the whole part, obviously, that's super relevant. Is obviously hard to watch, but like it's not in a way where the whole the whole film is right. And there's like an hour and a half of film before that. Yeah, and it's not that long. It's not even two hours, I don't think. And then yeah, he has a new movie out I haven't seen yet called The Five Bloods on Netflix. But I don't. I might watch that. But uh, I haven't seen that one yet. It's like a Vietnam War based one, I guess. Yeah, he's another one of these directors that like whatever he's doing, however explicitly what he's doing is often the like the tale of a dying America. The same way that I always talk about most of the Paul Thomas Anderson films doing. And that would be a that would be a stupid fucking thing to do if he weren't an incredible director. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's probably could just go across the board for any th- any director, I guess, if you can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't take a big swing like that if you're gonna miss like very publicly. And he doesn't. Yeah, so that's the protest film episode is there any other ones you want to shout out maybe before we uh, wrap up here like just recommends or anything that's relevant um earlier this year before um anyone was like in these streets i did finally see sorry to bother you 
which is fucking weird um, and really good. Yeah. You know what? It's kind of... I will say, actually, now that I think about it, you could definitely draw a line between the two films we talked about today and that, where that's kind of in the middle in a, in a way, I guess. Like, it does have elements of both, kind of, I would say. Well, in the, and in the way that, like, Do the Right Thing is a little bit ambivalent toward Mookie's character, Mookie has one ethos for most of the movie, and it stops him from being a, a part of the community that is facing these problems with, with the pizza shop until the very end, obviously. Lakeith Stanfield's character lets the money get to his head, becomes the bad guy, and has to work his way back from that. Um, and it, it is also because it's 2020 and Boots, Boots Riley has like done all the reading, um, like a very class-conscious film. This came out in 2018. Yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, in the way that like everything is class and then a lot of class is also race, but everything is still class. Yeah, but it does, so it has that, and that's why I said it ties into Akira as well, because it also does have some element of the, uh, the society keeps people, like, boxed in a way of, like, this is your job sort of thing, and his character is kind of outside that at the beginning. He hasn't got a job or whatever, and then when he does get into it, it is still trying to box him in a certain way, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. Conforming to the strictures of that job and finding that he excels at it, like, ends up making him one of the bad guys as I just said, and then, like, the rest of his community is protesting, like, his own workplace around him. And then they do the thing where they have the exaggerated, like, riot squad that they have to fight off, um, which is hard to watch these days, um, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, the ending of that one, I don't think it's, uh, it's not on the level of Ikaru or do the right thing with the final scene, even though it is a weird one, but... <laughs> You're not a fan of stomping a mud hole in your ass.com? <laughs> Uh, but like literally what happens is well, I won't spoil it but what what gets turned into at the end yeah so, sorry to bother you I think that's like streaming on Hulu or something if you have that you can watch it I believe yeah that one's pretty accessible I'm trying to think if I had any last minute recs here but I'm drawing a blank now and we could even do a part two of this like I don't know what our next episode's gonna be do you want to do the nihilistic 70s American protest gladio Co-intel pro films we could i mean i already i've already been watching so many 70s films anyway so i'm sure it would slide right in to my wheelhouse yeah we'll talk about it off mic but uh it's always good to get a big one out of the way which i think ikaru is like considered one of like the big ones of classic cinema good to get that crossed off it's also a chunky fucking film and who knows maybe you'll even watch it again someday sober well i won't i won't say that that might be a big swing but yeah, it's, it's good to, to get that, talk about that, and of course, an American classic like Do the Right Thing. So, that'll do it for this episode of Movies Are Relevant. Please do subscribe to Brooklyn Rebound Network here if you're not already. Check out some of our other shows at least once a month, maybe even a little more than that. We've been doing Pod Trump Interruption, a great a comedy improv show that's very funny, I think. So check that out on this feed here. Uh, you could also check out my uh, YouTube channel, Drew's Views, where I do some television reactions to like the aforementioned Evangelion and other animes and other cartoons and shows. Check that out. Uh, at No Thanks Y'all on Twitter for some of E-Nam's choice tweets. And uh, that's going to do it for us. Everyone out there, you should do the right thing. Uh, follow what your heart tells you to do. Protest if you think it's right. And that'll be it for us. Peace. Our freedom of speech is freedom of death. We got to fight the powers that be. Fight the power. Fight the power.
Podboys Productions.